Today, just as in every age, mankind has a comparison problem. People still deal with envy. And they compare themselves to, to each other and what they have. And they want what others have and often seek to take it even through theft. There are, then there are others who think because of certain blessings that they have, they are above others. And therefore, others do not have the same dignity and value that they have. These attitudes, this comparison problem, to be frank, shows a rejection of God and His Word. Our rejection of God, our immoral living, our mistreatment of others, and our prideful hearts all cry out for a, honestly, a just response from our Creator, if we're honest this morning. Every single one of us would do well not to judge ourselves by others, but by God's holy word and His holy character. When God is the standard in our hearts, when we understand that He is Lord and Sovereign, well, we understand things a lot differently. And we begin to understand that he indeed would be just to judge us for our sins, our rebellion against him. He is not obligated to us in the slightest. Yet he offers mercy and he gives kindness to us every day. But particularly he offers the I want to go back. He offers us mercy in himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God the Son, became a man. He came in the flesh. Why? To live a life of perfect righteousness, to image God the way we never have. In the hardest of circumstances, and then to go die on the cross under the wrath of God. Again, under the most difficult of circumstances, for self-centered, jealous, prideful and resentful people like you and me, Christ came to offer himself and his, his life and death as a atoning sacrifice for the sins of any and all who would ever repent, take God's side against their sins, and trust in Jesus alone. They might be saved through the one who was raised from the dead and who's coming again to judge the living and the dead. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, Bible's call is so clear. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Put your trust in Christ. I'm not calling you just to, to believe facts about Jesus. I'm calling you to trust in Him. Put your trust in Jesus and be forgiven. And when, and then, and according to the New Testament, when someone does this, they go public with it. It becomes a they go formally public with it. And they, they're a part of an assembly, a formal assembly that's gathered in his name called the local church. Church is those who've been assembled out, called out, congregated out from the world in Christ Jesus. Assembled in the name of our Lord. When a group of people have been born again, have been called out from sin and assembled in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should then show itself in their lives. However, we know that sometimes congregations get their eyes off Christ. They stray. They never drift into holiness. They drift away from it. 
Enter 1 Corinthians, a letter of response written by the Apostle Paul to a church he planted there in Corinth. If you've been keeping up with the book of 1 Corinthians as we've gone through this series, uh, you know there are a lot of problems there, especially the problem of pride among uh, those, in the, those the scholars call the elite in the, in the congregation who were very high-minded of themselves. And their picture, uh, and according to you, as you read the, New read the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, appears to be of one of constant selfishness, separation of themselves, and segregation within the local church because of prideful separation. And they denied the gospel of Jesus Christ in a division. And we've seen that already in Paul's correction of them in their observance of the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, which is an illustra illustration of unity in, in, the, in the gospel. Paul now has to tackle the view that some thought they were better than others because they had been granted certain gifts to speak publicly in the church assembly. They were the ones in the, quote, spotlight, and therefore worthy of more admiration in their opinion. Let's pick up where we left off last week, 1 Corinthians 12, now verse 4 through 31. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 31. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and to, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. And all, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of, but, of one, but, one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And the church of God has, in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is God's word. This chapter, as you've just seen, is about the allotment of spiritual gifts, the charismata. That word, that word means grace gifts. The, the term grace is built into it. Charis, charismata. That's grace gifts given to believers by the one spirit for the common good of the congregation to glorify God. The, the passage promotes humility and excludes boasting because God gives gifts according to his sovereign will. This text isn't to be, meant to be the end-all, be-all on, on gifts, but to help us understand the graciousness of God in giving gifts and how we understand and look at the church. There's no boasting in salvation, and there's no boasting in service. It's all by his grace. It's all because of his grace gift. Verse 3, as we looked at last week, is key. Looking back at verse 3, to setting the tone, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's key to reading this section. The Lordship of Christ is the benchmark by which gifts are evaluated. They aren't a showing of our strength. They are intended to communicate the truth that Jesus is Lord. And last week, we examined how if you have Christ, you have the Spirit of God. This makes a person spiritual. There's no hierarchy of spirituality in the local church. If you are born again, you have been, if you've been truly converted by the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of God, and He empowers and gifts members of the church to fulfill different roles at different times according to God's plan. Here's the central point. It's the same as last week. True believers possess the Holy Spirit. Last week, part one or point one was they are enabled to affirm the Lordship of Christ. This week, part two, point two, they are equipped to serve under the Lordship of Christ. They are equipped to serve under the Lordship of Christ. Let's get into point two then here. They are equipped to serve under the Lordship of Christ. Here's the picture. God, not man, bestows gifts on the members of the church so that they might edify one another in a number of ways and serve the needs of the church. There's no room for grumbling. There's no room for self-pity or pridefulness in the body. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over his church. He is to be trusted and obeyed. First subpoint. 
I'll read the second. I'll read the main the, the main point. So, true believers possess the Holy Spirit. Part two today. They are equipped to serve under the lordship of Christ. First sub point. How? God. Look at uh, verses four through eleven. God chose to distribute giftings. God chose to distribute giftings. I'll say it again. God chose to distribute giftings. Key in on verse 11. Look at verse 11. God distributes gifts to each, each one just as He, the perfect one, determines. Not just the elite. To each one. To each one, Paul says. So this section is not so much about naming every gift. As I read to you from Romans 12, it's, even, it's somewhat different than what we read here. This passage is about correcting the notion about what made someone spiritual and gifted. It helped correct. This is a correcting teaching here. The prideful, it helped correct them and it helped encourage those who somehow felt that they had no role to play based on the elite. Note here the Spirit. Look at, the, look at 4 through 11. The Spirit, the Son, and the Father are involved in the gifts. The source of our gifts is the triune God. So let's look at the gifts as he names them here. I see at least six categories. Again, the list is not exhaustive, but we learn a lot from it here. And if you're looking for a really good book that dives deep into spiritual gifts, I want to commend to you um, Tom Schreiner's new book, The Spiritual Gifts. It's outstanding. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, rooted in, in Scripture. He does a great job, Tom Schreiner, on this. But let me, let me do some teaching here. He mentions, first of all, your teaching gifts, the message of wisdom and the, me and the message of knowledge. Those appear to be teaching gifts because how they are paired here and elsewhere. Wisdom appears to be able to apply the gospel, apply the word of God as illustrated in 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. That's, that's a good illustration of how Paul demonstrates it. And then knowledge or education about the rationale of the gospel as illustrated in Chapters 8 through 10, well, Paul does teaching and education there about eating and banquets and idolatry. God gives some people to discern and apply the Scriptures for the good of the church. These people should be teaching the Bible because they are marked with clarity on the Gospel and its application. Next up, he mentions faith gifts. It helps people in trusting God with unexplained confidence for a specific situation. These people are, are gifted to encourage trust in God. These folks are those who are helpful in encouraging calm and spurring people on uh, when things are tough. Their trust in God is quite helpful and it spreads and edifies the body. Thank God for these kinds of folks. Amen. Many mentions healing gifts to cure various illnesses, Miraculous powers likely to drive out demons and help people out of spiritual snares and traps. This seems to be those whom the Lord gives to lay on hands on others in prayer like James talks about. These are the kind of folks you want praying. You want to, you want to ask these folks to be praying. Then he mentions prophetic gifts. I've mentioned this before in a previous sermon where those who were, it was for receiving and communicating spontaneous, usually verbal revelation that one understands as revealed truth and communicates to the church with divine authority. 
Uh, men and women were moved by the Spirit to speak, and then they were evaluated under the authority of the elders and congregation. Again, these were special, unusual movements of the Spirit of God. This is speaking of uh, a divine message that was supplied because, again, the foundation of the, the prophets and apostles had not been laid yet. And so God gifted His church in, uniquely in redemptive history. So now we have the Scriptures. The Scriptures show us the importance of devoting ourselves to the written Word, to the teachings of the apostles. But God still gives impressions today. He still prompts people by the Spirit, gives them timely counsel. And we need these people to be present to speak timely counsel and witness into people's lives. And these promptings are not on par with the Scriptures. The Scriptures test all our public ministry and counsel. The, the, the Scriptures are the final authority and rule for faith and practice. Fifth, we see discernment gifts. These were given to distinguish the authenticity of a prophetic message. So, for example, in Acts 16, verses 16 through 18, Paul recognized a woman who commended his gospel to others. Was at, she herself was actually possessed by an evil spirit, and then he cast the spirit out of her. So these people appear to have a gift for smelling false ones and false teachers. You see, there are wolves that slip into a church that say a lot of true things. But underneath, underneath they, slip in, they slip in their false sayings too. And there are those who are given a gift of discernment. And then six, he mentions tongue gifts at the end. Notice that? Mentions that last. It means to speak an unlearned human language. And, in, and also, as you can see there, some can interpret them. Note how Paul, again, puts these last both here and in verse 30. He puts it at the bottom. That seems like a rhetorical strategy to help the elite get a grip on reality. Names at last. Tongues and languages were given at Pentecost. If you just want to read Acts 2 today, you can see it. And the reference to tongues of angels that comes up in 13.1 is used more to illustrate Paul's, again, rhetorical point, which we will see later. But when he talks about tongues as a gift, he's speaking about giving people foreign, unlearned foreign languages to build up, edify, and help. The interpretation of that spoken language is also a gift. And these would have been critical. Think with me. As you can see in Acts 2, these would have been critical in the early church and in missions context. God did some powerful, unique, uh, wonderful things in helping the spread of the gospel. Whatever gifts believers have received, they all, look at the text, they all come from the same Spirit who sovereignly distributes them all. There's no reason for Christians to feel superior. That's what Paul's mostly hitting on here because, they all, because each one has a gift. Paul names, uh, names more uh, gifts at the end of the chapter. But when, when you and I read this section, who are you in awe of, awe of more here? People or God? Who are you more in awe of? People or God? How much more would our churches know health if we were more caught up in the wonder of God's handiwork? Certainly we can look around at the members of our own churches and say, I can see how the Spirit has gifted that person. They are a blessing like this. God, you are marvelous. 
Lord, what you do in people's lives is, is fantastic. God be praised. Thank you, Jesus. Some people come to church either in awe of themselves or in comparison of themselves with other people. That's a miserable way to come to church, isn't it? I mean, doesn't that miss the point? Doesn't that shift the focus of worship? Let's be honest, isn't that a drift towards idolatry of man and of self? Friends, we're to be in awe of God. So let's get our eyes off of man and look to our sovereign Lord. Let's be humbled today that we are not in hell, that he has purchased us, that he has cleansed us of all our transgressions, past, present, and future, that he has been so patient with us and that he is equipping the church, every member with a gift to be submitted and to live their life submitted to Jesus Christ, to the glory of his name and the edification. Remember this, his church. He purchased the church. Not one of us shed a drop of blood for the church. Not one of us could ever redeem his church. It is his church. Let's yield to his choice. It's his choice to bless according to his wisdom. Glory to God. Let's go to the second sub-point here. God chooses their placement in the body. God chooses their placement in the body. Verses 12 through 24 is where I'm going to focus. So you can look at that pericope there, 12 through 24. Here's the point. God is forming his church of diverse people groups in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, just as he promised in the Old Testament. How often do we see that in Isaiah? He assigns roles to each one just as God gave function and purpose to each member of your own physical body. Everyone has a role, and God expects each member to do their job. Let's look at the logic here. Look at 12 through 14. There is one body but many working parts in a church. But make no mistake, we were all baptized, immersed into the Spirit by Christ. There's no room for hierarchy and prideful thinking in the church. There's no room for resenting others for how they are used in the body. A better translation here of the passive verbs reads like this. It's from the New Revised Standard Version. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now having noting how Jesus baptizes his people just as John the Baptist said he would, with the spirit. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? He's coming to do a greater baptism? You see, we know that the spirit draws people to Jesus Christ. He gives the life breath. But Jesus endows us with the power by the Holy Spirit to be His obedient and useful people. At conversion, believers are made to drink of the Spirit. That means they are drenched in the Spirit. Drinking of the Spirit means believers share a common bond. That's a, that's a communal language. Common bond in the body of Christ because every one of them has been plunged into and drenched with the Spirit. Look at the emphases throughout the passage. One body, one spirit, one life of God. The spirit in himself unites us together in himself. Now notice he does this with diverse, look at the text, diverse people groups 
to form one new people. Jews and Gentiles, slave or free. How amazing. Friends, how amazing is our God? I mean, He takes a bunch of messed up and diversified people groups and forms them into a cohesive unit to glorify Himself through how they love one another and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know how hard it is to get people together? You know how hard it is to get people to agree? Ask your children sometime what they want for lunch today. Watch the, watch the quarreling. I want this. I don't want that. It's so difficult just to get anyone to agree. But how amazing is our God that He can bring together peoples of different cultures, of different age groups, of different likes and dislikes, and unite them powerfully in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what the church is to be. It's one of the unique witnesses that God gives us as a holy people. How amazing is God? You know what that declares to our hearts when we dwell on this? The church ain't about you and it ain't about me. I mean, when you come to church and you realize that, it makes things a lot better. It's not about you or me. It's about the glory of God. God does everything to bring glory to Himself. And that makes sense given the fact that He is God. Look now at how He applies this theology, this rich theology to their lives in verses 15 through 24. This is brilliant. This section is a clear example of biblical church membership. Membership, that, that language of church membership finds its root here. Members of the body. Teaching of membership in a local church is given a direct illustration here in 1 Corinthians 12. This is why you can't treat church like a box. It's much more meaningful than that. Like a box of goodness to check off. Verse 15 through 20, look at that first set of application here. He deals with those that you, you, you would recognize that you could say they, they have role in thee. They envy the roles that others have and they fall into self-pity. Now some perceive that others' roles are the ones that somehow really matter. That, that person's role really matters the most and therefore my role is not that valuable. Well, here's the thing. Look at the illustration here. It's a true illustration. And any one of us would want, not one of us would want to, <coughs> excuse me, give up any part of our human body because they all have an important role to us. Break your toe and realize one day, you'll realize quickly, man, that little toe is quite important to walking. You know, break a finger and you realize, man, I miss the use of that hand. Well, the same is true in the body of believers. The church is comprised of different working parts. If one part is broken, the whole body is going to sense it at some point. The nervous system is going to alert. This is not functioning. Send help. Note the different parts. Look at this. This is brilliant too. The different parts of the body, Paul teaches here, cannot declare themselves independent from the body. It doesn't work in your physical body. body. Your, uh, your, your, an appendage doesn't break off and says, you know, I'm just not part of it. I just do my own thing. It doesn't work like that. You can't declare yourself separate from the body because you don't fulfill the role you desire, Paul says. 
you may want to be, quote, an eye, but God's called you to perhaps to be a hand. God made you to be grateful for how he's made you in accordance with all his all-wise plan. So let's avoid trying to be what he has not made us to be. And practically, that means serving and filling, filling needs in the body until God makes it apparent you are gifted to serve in other capacities uh, according to the elders in the congregation. Let them recognize you. And then verses 21 through 24. Paul deals with those on the other side, the other extreme, who are proud of their public roles and likely the times they spoke in foreign languages and tongues. And the attitude on display here is that of self-sufficiency. It wrongly relies on self. They take pulling themselves up by the bootstraps to a different level. This person forgets God. They forget God gave them all that they have and that He can take it all away. And 22, look at 22 and 23. Paul contradicts them. The, the parts think that they are, uh, the parts that they think are less important. Paul says those parts are so important. You think those parts over there are not important. They are indispensable. Every member of the church is indispensable. That's, that's the knucklehead moment for them. You knuckleheads, you need everybody. God has divided the labor. And when all the body parts fulfill their functions and are mutually concerned for each other, there's no division in the body, Paul talks about here. You say, Pastor Gary, what's that part there about the honorable and, and, and private parts here? How do, we, how do we value that according to Paul? Well, we protect them. You see, his illustration is like this. It is an overexposure that the private parts worth is made less. So, therefore, special honor must be given to members of the body who seem, quote, more susceptible because their gifts are not as visible. Their gifts are not as celebrated. Their gifts are not as deployed. He says, treat them with honor. Friends, shouldn't we thank and honor those who labor behind the scenes? Shouldn't we really value that too? Uh, this kind of ministry doesn't just, doesn't just happen. It happens because people labor quietly and undercover. And we should show them honor for that. We should honor those. You, you, you Think of people in the church right now you know who work hard behind the scenes to set up things, to count things, to put things in order who are not out front, visible for all to see. You should thank them and honor them. I think Paul holds up two extremes, the, the, the self-pitying ones and the, and the self-sufficient ones. They both have a problem, self. There's a lot of self involved. And these attitudes divide a church. It creates division. It destroys fellowship. It causes people to be withdrawn and withholding in fellowship as they envy each other and hold grudges and look down on one another. You see how important this is? How clear Paul's being here? There's no room for this nonsense in a body of believers. So let's bring some balance to it. We often either think of our about our think about it. 
we often think about ourselves either too negatively or too positively. We can go to those two extremes. We can really hate ourselves to a, this ugly, really um, sinful point, right? And, and we can think so highly of ourselves. The inferior one could be in sinful self-comparison and pride because they are not getting the appreciation they want, and that turns into a false humility that sounds like this, I guess no one needs me. Friends, put that away. We've all been there. We've all thought that. You're thinking about yourself wrongly. Don't reject what God has done in your life by putting yourself down like that. And if you're feeling inferior about your role in the church body, then your feelings, well, are just that. They're feelings, and they're off track according to Scripture. Don't base it on your feelings. Base it on the Word of God. You and I may be called to serve in ways we would never choose for ourselves, but we are to trust God. It may be out front. It may be in the back, way back. It may be way back there somewhere. But we are to trust God wherever we are serving. Paul helps us out here so well. You see, an overemphasis on diversity in the body of gifts might lead us to a sinful spirit of independence from other believers. So you're focusing on the individual gift and the diversification of gifts so much you will divide. But at the same time, if you stress on the unity so much that it leads to an arrogant insistence that all believers be exactly like you, well, then that's wrong as well. God did not make us all the same, and He did not gift us all the same, and did not give us the same struggles and same strengths. We need unity and diversity in the body, and that's how God has made us. There are some members that we want to send right into a, a, a certain situation. And there's some members like, no, 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 we're not sending them this time. There's so many occasions like that where like, you can see that this member over here would be so much more helpful to bring healing and help or correction or love, whatever the circumstance calls for, how God has made them. Let's go to the last sub-point here. God commands the purpose of the giftings. God commands the purpose of the giftings. Verse 25 through 31, look with me. The vision and purpose for fellowship in the church. Verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You know, division is deadly to a congregation. But unity and love are powerful witnesses. Equal concern for each other is what we are called to here. Friends, uh, please don't miss this. If I'm not being clear, I want to just hold up a sign, turn on lights, uh, make noise. Let me be clear. Equal concern for each other is what we're called to here. What does this passage call us to? Unity and diversity with equal concern. You, you, you see it in the passage, right? I'm not making this up. It's, it should be plain to you from God's Word. So, do you want to destroy cliques and petty squabbles? Do you want to see more 
uh, ethnic, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, age diversity, less cultural division in a church? Do you want to see more holiness and joy? Do you want to ensure that no one gets left out? No one is lonely and ignored every week? Do you want to ensure that everyone is cared for in the congregation? Well, the only way to do that is to show equal concern. So, how do we do that, Pastor Garrett? Don't let your love be partial and preferential because of what you get out of it. Don't let it drift that way. Maybe you're in the habit of calling someone or maybe getting close to someone because of what you may get out of it. Friends, when was the last time you called someone just because you loved them and wanted to care for them? If you're always looking at people as an opportunity to, to take, some point they're going to sense that. They're going to derive that and realize, this isn't really a friendship. This is me being used. And that's the only reason you call me is when you need me. And we've all done it to someone. We just need to recognize that and realize, I need to call them just to check on them and say, I love you and just see how you're doing. Just to see how you're doing. And by the way, if someone does call you for help, and don't read into motives. We should be willing to help. But what we should do is model love and not show preferential treatment and see what we can get out of people. It's fine to ask for help, but don't let that be your only reason for, for fellowship with people. Not for political advancement or purely for that purpose. At some point they're going to realize you care about what I do for you, you don't really care about me. So let each member show concern for each other member. Pray for and get to know your church members as a special assignment from the Lord Himself. Show up and show concern. If I could do just a sermon on that, that's why I wish I could just do a sermon just on that. Show up and show concern. I mean, that's why I tell every member coming into membership here, your main job is to be here. That's it. The, the ministry will eventually show, show up where you can help. You'll show up and, and do things. and be, That's not your main purpose in the local church. It's to be here so you can fulfill loving one another and caring for one another, showing equal concern. Another application. Discern that division flows from selfish desires. People who stir division and seek to get you involved in their disgruntled attitudes are self-serving. You just need to know that. Put that in your, in your discernment box. If you want to stir disunity, be about yourself. If you want to cause unity, be about Jesus, others, and lost people. God's vision is that no one is left out, and that is how we avoid losing people. It's through mutual concern. We have a mission and it's not going to be fulfilled apart from the grace of God and living out our church covenant together. We strive to fulfill our covenant promises. So let's repent of, um, of treating people less than. Let's not forget that we are not the only ones suffering in the body. Let me tell you something, friends. I, I would say our church gets this pretty well, but we have to tell ourselves, we're not the only ones with problems. You'd be surprised how many aches and pains are in a church body every week. Most of you are. You, you don't hear about it because um, it's not broad knowledge all the time. But you'd be surprised 
how often suffering is happening in this church body. Just remember that about one another. Just believe the best in that way. They're probably going through their own problems this week, and I should strive to believe the best about them. Wouldn't that be a mature way of seeing each other? I I should assume that they have their own pains and problems and heartaches that they're walking through themselves, and they're probably doing the best they can. Paul rounds off his points in 27 through 31. Look at that. God formed the body, gave gifts. No one has all the gifts. Nobody has all the gifts. There are some people who think they do, but nobody has all the gifts. Look at verse 28 and following. Paul doesn't rank the gifts, but he does list them in what appears to be foundational for the church. That's why he starts with the apostles there. He doesn't rank them, but he seems to give a foundation. But notice he mentions helping and guidance to highlight service and administration to help guide the church through trials. Those are also gifts of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. We've known difficult days and we needed steady hands at the helm. Praise the Lord for gifts of administration. Hallelujah. Praise God. Christians have different gifts. No one has it all. No gift has been given to all. Verse 31, he says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Not to be greater individuals, okay? But to be helpful. What's he talking about the greater gifts, Pastor Garrett? Well, some gifts are greater in function because they more clearly and consistently more clearly, more consistently edify the church. And that's what he's going to go into next in chapter 13 and 14. He says, desire those things, not for the greater, not for the greatness of the individual, but for the betterment and the edification of the church. God, help me build the church. Help me be a building block here. Help me to build into others. The measurement of a of a of a spiritual gift's value is not how a Christian benefits from their own gift, hello, but how that gift benefits the congregation as a whole, which is about the purpose of mutual concern and love. So church, let me, let me land the plane if I can. Let's not, let's not stop and compare or complain about what God does in giving gifts to people. Let's focus on yielding to Jesus Christ for the purpose of honoring His name and edifying those He has placed in our lives. God has placed a local church in your life. You will be responsible for how you build into your own covenant community where you work out the commands, the one another commands as expressed in letters to local churches. Let's pursue gifts to love well. I'll put it like this. Let's pursue Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for how you bring us together in the gospel and then you, you fit us for service. God, we, didn't, we don't deserve heaven. 
We don't deserve, Lord, any place in the church of service. We don't deserve anything, but God, you've been so kind. So Lord, we do pray you grow us in our desire for gifts of edification, whatever they may be. Lord, particularly guide us, Lord, to be so yielded to the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we are regularly building into others. We pray, God, you would purify our motives at every step and magnify your Son in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.